Take your scriptures this morning and turn to Isaiah chapter 2. Isaiah chapter 2. The word that Isaiah the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. And it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow into it. And many people shall go and say, Come ye, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he shall judge among the nations and shall rebuke many people. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come ye, and let us walk in the light of the Lord. Father, the admonition of the text is quite clear upon first reading, and that is that your people should walk in the light of your word, in the light of the Lord, the word that has been given to us by the blessed ministry of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for the giving. We pray now about the receiving. And I ask that you would help each and every one that is gathered here this Lord's Day morning to give heart and mind to the declaration of the scripture concerning the surety of a coming day a day that our souls do long for, a day that will come because you've said it will come. Help us then to engage in the logic of the dear prophet and to be profited in our own souls this morning. This we pray in Jesus' name and for his blessed sake. Amen. I want you to listen to the words of a well-honed paragraph. Of all the stories ever written, the most wonderful are the story of the Jewish people and the story of the Lord's Church. Both of these stories are true. Both are unfinished. Both are filled with alternating triumphs and tragedies. And both are to have final chapter of glorious consummation. So wrote J. Sidlow Baxter concerning the guarantee of the Jewish nation and the guarantee of the Lord's church. Our understanding of the future, near and far, is shaped by the promises and the prophecies of God's written word. We have righteous expectation of what is ultimately ahead for the nation of Israel and what is ultimately ahead for the Lord's Church. On this particular Memorial Day weekend, the short-run prospects of our own beloved nation are rather convoluted. 
inflation, immigration, crime had the list of American concerns. The moral divide that we certainly felt in the 1960s between pro-life and pro-choice is still about 50-50. Government ineptitude at home. Just ask any mother trying to feed her baby. And abroad has had its negative impacts on most all citizens in this country in one way or another. Overseas, the ravages of war are perpetuated and displayed in real-time images across various forms of media day in and day out. I think it's fair to say that, uh, that the world's fear of an aggressive Russia and the Lord's fear of a, of a China is uh, certainly, once again, on the escalation scale. Today, in this moment of time, on this holiday weekend, we look to a very unique passage of scripture in which we find a unique contrast between the word and the wall. And you have a choice to make this Memorial Weekend, and that is whether you will order your life going forward according to the word or according to the wall. And of course, the thing that makes it more strange is that the words on the wall are part of the word. But nonetheless, there's a contrast between the word and the wall. We've come this morning to Isaiah chapter 2 to place emphasis upon verse 4. Because the verse is referenced and indeed is chiseled into the wall at the United Nations building in New York, New York. When you read that verse in scripture and then you see the verse chiseled on the wall, it is very striking that the first 13 words of Isaiah 2.4 are completely ignored on the wall, though they're found in the word. Hence the contrast and the choice on your behalf and mine. Do we believe the word or do we embrace the wall? What are the 13 words? Here they are. And he, capital H, shall judge among the nations and shall rebuke many people. Those 13 words speak of the coming action of the Almighty God to judge the nations and to rebuke the world's people. That divine action ahead results in the most favorable and ideal conditions on all the earth. The United Nations like, I mean they really like, God's depiction of things on earth from Isaiah chapter 4, verse, I'm sorry, chapter 2, verse 4, B. But they do not embrace and they do not believe in Isaiah 2, 4, A. 
They have purposely left the God part out. The verse as used on the wall illustrates the very pride that this chapter, Isaiah 2, uh, condemns. Now today we are in the process of completing a series of study uh, driven by a single question that we introduced earlier in the month. The question is, how might we best honor God and the truth of the gospel in a time when Christ is commonly moralized, minimized, and trivialized among local churches of all stripes? How might we uh, swim up current, as it would be? How might we defy uh, the zeitgeist of our society? And stand for the Lord, as would please the Lord, with the truth of the Lord on our lips and in our lives. We've answered that question from Nehemiah chapter 8. We've answered that question from Habakkuk chapter 2. We've answered that question last week from Leviticus 9 and 10. And now this morning, we answer that question from Isaiah chapter 2 as uh, we study that chapter together. The simple comparison between what God's word actually says and that which men have chosen to chisel on a wall and post underscores the difference between righteous and unrighteous expectations. An awful lot of people's expectations are unrighteous. Pastorally, I lament the fact that a lot of Christians' expectations are on righteous expectations. God's greatness ensures that neither his love nor his sense of justice will ever be denied ultimately on this earth. Isaiah chapter 2 is part of a 12-chapter emphasis upon how God's love and justice are brought together in the time that is appointed by God Ahead, a time frame that has already been indicated, and you may have picked up on it as we began reading, it's called the last days. In the last days, God will bring together his love and justice in such a way that the promises and prophecies of God will indeed be fulfilled. The chapter, Isaiah chapter 2, easily divides into two parts. Verses 1 to 4 describe the future glory secured by God's intervention. God's kingdom come. We pray it each week around here as we uh, welcome you to worship and welcome one another to worship by way of song. We sing of God's kingdom uh, at the end of the song. And today, our last hymn, uh, uh, translated from Luther and his great uh, uh, German hymn of old, again, points our minds minds to the reality of the kingdom of God, the surety of the kingdom of God. Do you believe in the kingdom of God? Is it for sure? Is God for sure? Is what God says for sure? Yes, yes, and yes. But you and I live in a world that doesn't believe that. And you and I represent that God in whom the world does not believe. And that makes life for us just a little dicey and requires for us a sense of dependency upon the Lord week in and week out, day in and day out. Well, chapter 2, 1 to 4, describes God's kingdom come. 
And then beginning in verse 5 through verse 22, you have a compelling prophetic emphasis upon uh, humility. The call for humility. The call to walk in the light of the Lord. And as a part of the surety of the establishment of God's kingdom, you have in verses 5 to 22, uh, the reality that, that sinful man, before the great day of God's kingdom, ought to be willing to humble themselves before the mighty hand of God that he might exalt them in due season. Twice in this chapter, you have the theme of the chapter summarized. Verse 11, verse 17. Look at verse 11. The lofty looks of man shall be humbled, and the haughtiness of men shall be bowed down, and the Lord alone shall be exalted in that day. You have almost the same thing in verse 17. And the loftiness of man shall be bowed down, and the haughtiness of men shall be made low, and the Lord alone shall be exalted in that day. In this chapter, God says that he will need to forcibly humble the nations in order for the stated day of peace and beauty as forecast, uh, to come. Uh, back in the 1960s, when I was a teenager, uh, there was a rock music anthem that blared on the radio time and again, in which it was sung, War, what is it good for? Absolutely nothing. Say it again. War, what is it good for? Absolutely nothing. Say it again, and again, and again, and again, and again. And uh, they've been saying that now over my entire lifetime. That's a long time. Saying that, singing that, and listen, even working hard to build that by way of national coalition has never stopped war on the earth, nor will it as long as sinful men rule nations. War will be a part of life on earth until God, in his own time, intervenes to put an end to it. Isaiah 2 tells us how God will put an end to it. It tells us how God puts an end to war. And it tells us when, by reference to last days, verse 2. Isaiah's appeal to the people of his day, knowing that the prophecy was for someday. Isaiah bears what I call pastoral burden. And the pastoral burden is saying to the Lord, Okay, Lord, I got it. I understand it. The ultimate sense of peace, the ultimate sense of joy, the ultimate sense of those promised commodities that are so liberally found throughout the pages of the Word of God come only by your mighty hand as promised in the coming day to this earth when thy kingdom come. Therefore, Lord, we pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, I get that. I understand that. But what about today? 
And what about these people here? And what about me? Because obviously we are not living yet in the promised day as held in prospect. Isaiah 2, 1 to 4. Well, Isaiah makes his appeal in verse 5. That's why we read down through verse 5. He says, with pastoral concern in his day, O house of Jacob, come ye and let us walk in the light of the Lord. What do you do until God's kingdom come? Answer, you walk in the light of the Lord. That's the message. Here then from the chapter are three reasons that you and I ought to walk in the light of the Lord. Reason number one, walk in the light of the Lord because he has designated a coming center for justice. It's interesting because the world's attention is often placed upon city centers, city centers among the nations, uh, starting with New York from our perspective, and of course the home of the United Nations. But then there's London, and there's Moscow, and there's Beijing. Many times the hopes and fears among the nations rise and fall upon New York City, what's happening in London, what's happening in Moscow, what's happening in Beijing. But the Old Testament prophets and the New Testament apostles place our attention upon the city of Jerusalem, the city of God, as it is referenced repeatedly, and we are told in verse 3 that it will become uh, the center of God's justice in the day ahead. Look at verse 3 again, and many people shall go and say, come ye, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. And he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Zion, the center of justice in the world. According to verse 2, God will literally rearrange in the coming day of his kingdom the typography of the earth's surface so that Jerusalem sets on the highest plateau You may recall a little bit of that coming your way by way of Zechariah in their most recent adult study uh, that was complete. Uh, In the millennial kingdom age, uh, everyone will go up uh, to Jerusalem. According to verse 3, Jerusalem will be the world's educational center from which the truth and the curriculum of God will be taught. War is no more, verse 4. As Messiah reigns over the nations, we are told in other scriptures, with a rod of iron. Isaiah knows that this vision of peace and prosperity on earth is beyond his lifetime. And so he makes appeal to the Jewish people to walk in the light of the Lord's plan. To walk in the light of the Lord's power. To walk in the light of the Lord. What do we do until the Lord comes? 
What do we do until God's kingdom comes and is established on earth and God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven? What do we do in the meantime? We walk in the light of the Lord. And one of the reasons that we should walk in the light of the Lord is because ultimately every injustice will be answered by God in the coming day. Once again this week, we have been confronting the reality of the injustices that are so predominantly evident in the world in which we live. Things so horrific and so disturbing makes you wonder, will it ever be right? Will it ever be right? Will it ever be right? And the answer is, Yes, it will be right. But you are to know, and I am to know, who it is that alone can make it right. And it's not some politician. And it's not the enactment of another law. And it's not people having the foresight to do what they do not have the foresight to do. I'm wearing my old glasses this morning. Because yesterday I was working in the yard and having a blast. I was enjoying being outside and working in the sun. What a beautiful day yesterday was. And then I had an episode in which I so badly scratched my good glasses that I'll go on Tuesday to the place and say, please tell me you can buff this out. Because if I were to try to wear them today, I'd be trying to look through the side angle of my glasses. And even a little thing like scratched glasses remind me that this world is not all she is meant to be. There's a day coming when fling your glasses uh, to the road. For the believer, there's a day coming. There's a day coming when you know far more serious injustices that have played out in dear families' lives over the last week. Uh, you, you know that there's a day coming when all things will be made right. But don't forget, believer, don't forget, believer, and if you forget what happens is the world has no testimony of how that ever happens. And it doesn't happen because we all come together. It doesn't happen because we all sign our name. It doesn't happen because we all vote in one way or another. It happens because God himself makes it happen. And God himself tells us what we're supposed to do in the meantime. Walk in the light of the Lord. Justice is coming. Justice is coming. Walk in the light of the Lord. Number two, walk in the light of the Lord because of the current corruptions that are all around us. Isaiah, bless his heart, was never shy to speak of the sinful practices of his day, neither should we be. Isaiah addressed a number of things, and upon reading them, they might skip across your mind, but wow, are they contemporary. Isaiah addresses the eastern ways of divination practiced among Israel in verse 6. Therefore thou hast forsaken thy people, the house of Jacob, because they be replenished. 
The word replenish has the idea of they have a spa day. They have a, a sense of, of, of comfort and well-being. They have a replenishment from the east. Where do they get their peace? Where do they get their comforts from? They get it from the east. What are you talking about? The east. The east. And our soothsayers, that mystical elements of yin, yang, that mystical sense of feel good, smell good, act good, everything is good. Isaiah addressed the eastern ways of divination practice in Israel, verse 6. And we could speak of America in many of those same bents. Isaiah confronted the ungodly pursuit of wealth. And he confronted the ungodly pursuit of dependency upon military strength. Verse 7, their land also is full of silver and gold. Neither is there any end of their treasure. Why, it's a land of prosperity, said Isaiah the prophet to the people in the day when the people had left off from God. It's a day of prosperity. Oh, yeah, inflation's raging, but the market is strong this week. Oh, yeah, this is happening, but I have my savings account. Oh, yeah, I'm secure. I got it together. Uh, it's amazing, the, the sense of, uh, uh, of dependency that people put upon the aspect of their own ability to earn, their own ability to save, their own ability uh, to possess. goes on to say, their land also is full of horses. And, of course, we need to understand that reference in its military sense. Neither is there any end to their chariots. Why, you talk about military equipment. Israel had a, a military equipment to spare. They could send it to other places that needed chariots. They could send their missiles to a different country where they were having war because we had so much extra. And we could appropriate more and more and more to go, 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 go other races because of the fact that, that uh, we're so helpful to people as they're fighting their battles. And, of course, if they win their battles, it'll be our pride which says we helped them win the day. We did that. We paid for that. We made that happen. Now, I'm talking to you about what was going on in Isaiah's day. But doesn't it have kind of a ring of contemporary written all over it? Certainly does in my mind. The height of the problem, as stated by Isaiah, verses 8 and 9, is uh, spoken of in the terms of idolatry. Their land also is full of idols. They worship the work of their own hands. That which their own fingers have made. There was a time in ancient Israel when everything was about man you facturing, making more, making good. That's what was happening, verse 8. Verse 9, and the mean man boweth down, and the great man humbleth himself, therefore forgive them not. Isaiah sees a time in which idolatry, in many, many forms, is gripping the hearts and minds of people far and wide in ancient Israel. Now listen careful to my next statement, and please do not think to tar and feather me. America's current prosperity and power should not be considered a direct evidence of God's blessing 
upon a people that currently do not look to him nor trust in him. There is no doubt that America's past looking to God, depending upon God, wrought some general prosperity in which we all have greatly enjoyed. But you cannot continue to call the aspect of the prosperity in any form that is current in our day based upon the response of our nation to God favorably. That would be a misnomer. Just as Isaiah found it necessary to appeal to his beloved nation to turn to the Lord and to walk in the light of the Lord, so it is our responsibility as the people of God to appeal to this nation to turn to the Lord and to walk in the light of the Lord. For too long in our lifetime, the local church has thought to make, it way, make its way forward by political conservatism and manufactured programs. Our only right way forward is by prayer and by trusting in the power of God. We declare this Lord's Day morning that God is light and that you and I are called to walk in the light of the Lord. Walk in the light of the Lord. Thirdly, this morning, walk in the light of the Lord because of his coming catastrophe brought by God upon the entirety of the earth. The essence of verses 9 through uh, 22 is the prophet's urging of the people to run and hide because of the destructive judgment coming at the hands of God. If I had one of those uh, uh, pulpit sirens, uh, I would flip it on now, uh, and it would begin to wail as a warning. And if you look at verse 10, you can see that emphasis. Enter into the rock. Why would you? You're hiding. And hide thee in the dust. Why would you? Because there's something bad happening. For the fear of the Lord and for the glory of his majesty. You see, when God does act in the coming day, when God does act in the coming day to make things right and to rule on this old earth with a rod of iron, when God acts to make that right, well, I tell you that there's going to be devastation. And Isaiah is warning those that oppose God and those that distrust in God and those that care less about God uh, that they ought to be fearful and they ought to run and hide and try to get away from God the storm uh, that cannot be beaten the worst, the very worst storm of old. If you were preaching this morning in Gaylord, you might have a hard time convincing the people there, even the believers there, that there's anything worse than a tornado based upon their recent experiences. But there is someone far worse than any tornado. There's someone far more devastating than anything that has been perpetuated on all the earth. And that one is God. And he has told us that he means holy business concerning the day of his promise and the fulfillment of the prophecies, even as we read them and we've been reminded of him here this morning. 
God targets, beginning at verse 10 and through verse 21, he targets proud men in the coming day who are described as tall trees, they're described as mountains, they're described as towers, they're described as thick walls, they're described as well-supplied ships in the section running from 10 to 21. When God starts his reign of terror, the proud will be forever brought low and the humble will be exalted. And once again, Isaiah is saying that, not so that the people go and hide in the rocks. The point of this is not that God's people would go and hide in the basement. The point of Isaiah's preaching back in that day was not that God's people would would grow shy and quiet, but that they would understand that when God takes initiation to make these things happen in the coming day, they're going to happen. And it will not go well for proud men. It only goes well for the humble. But the day of preaching, the day of representing, the day of telling the truth is today in which we warn individuals of the coming day of wrath. And the necessity in that day to run and hide as never before when God moves as planned upon the planet. And so the chapter ends at verse 22. It says, Cease ye from man whose breath is in his nostrils, for wherein is he to be accounted of. The dear prophet of God said, sever yourself, cut yourself off, and get away from the proud man, for his end is sure, and it won't be pretty. The man of today, known to be a mover and a shaker, will be moved and shaken of God In the coming day, prideful man will become of no account. Why, you can chisel on the wall of the United Nations part of a Bible verse that sounds really, really, really good. And then go inside that building where that wall is, uh, where uh, those words are chiseled, and make it look like you are working to make that happen. You are working hard to make that happen. We are working hard to make it happen. Make what happen? Uh, To see people beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. A time when nations shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. Wow, that sounds good. That sounds so good. It sounds so good they chiseled it on the wall. But the big dilemma is, are you going to believe the wall or are you going to believe the word? Are you going to choose the wall and put your expectations and your hopes and your aspirations upon the collective power of men to come together, to get together, to make for peace? Or are you going to put your hope in the Lord who tells us that the peace 
that we crave on the earth is coming God's way and in God's time. And that in the meantime, individuals, individuals can know the peace of the Lord, though surrounded by ungodly circumstance, because indeed they walk in the light of the Lord. In the light of the Lord, we say, honor God the King until the day of kingdom come. Soak up the truth of his majesty. Soak up the truth of his glory. Soak up the truth of his severity against sin, pride, haughtiness. Trust in his plan and power to bring love and justice together perfectly in the coming day. And in the meantime, let's make our way forward by prayer and humility. Now, unless you think that this uh, message is only of Old Testament appeal, I quote Paul's New Testament reality, at least in part. Paul wrote, You were once in darkness, but now ye are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, proving what is acceptable to the Lord. You just can't get a, a clearer instruction than that concerning what it is that we have role and responsibility to do before God in the day in which we live. One more time. You were once in darkness, but now ye are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, proving what is acceptable to the Lord. What a beautiful instruction. What a wonderful way forward in light of the days that we are living. Days that strike me as being very, very similar to the day in which Isaiah prophesied and spoke to Judah concerning the importance of their walking in the light of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, it is usual that we would pray for ourselves, and we certainly want to do that this morning. But more than that, we would pause this morning to pray for this nation. The news of the week bears testimony of the plottings and the plans and the enactments of sinful men, sometimes young men, sometimes old men, sometimes family men, like the man who this past week shot his three children and then killed his wife. 
Lord, these are days in which the sensitive soul can spin. In light of the horrific nature of the news. And we come to this holiday weekend in which we are being led to be mindful of those who have died in the service of this country. That we might enjoy the blessings and the freedoms that we do enjoy. And we do want to give honor where honor is due. And we do want to express our appreciation for those who have served us well. But Father, once again this morning, it is clear beyond any shadow of a doubt that our hope cannot lie in ourselves or other men. That our hope must rest entirely in you. And while it is understandable that your people would have souls that ache and long for a better day, may we be reminded that the better day is promised and is sure to come exactly in the manner and exactly at the time in which your word forecasts. But help us then that we who know you, love you, trust you, help us then that we would walk, that we would live in the light of the Lord. Help us then that we would be people of promise, people of your plan people of righteous prospect, as from the Lord, and encourage us to raise high the testimony of Christ among others in these days of trouble. We ask these things with great expectation in Jesus' name and for his blessed sake. Amen.